I'll tell you today, we've got to quit looking to the government to fix our problem. They can't do it. But they were never asked to. They cannot replace what God has asked and established within his church. And I promise you, when we become the church that we're supposed to be, with no division, united with this common heart, this pursuit of God, this revival heart, the nation will heal. Just bring such clarity, such conviction from that video. We're tolerating what we should never tolerate, allowing division to exist in the name of something. I'm not sure why, but we do it, and we do it very freely, and we've become very proud of it, and God's going to convict. He'll deal with it. He's very lovingly and kindly doing what we cannot do. He'll bring the unity. It's the only way it will ever work. Lord, we just thank you for this video. We thank you for some things that we've seen over the last few days and the unity that is on our hearts. It's the unity that has always been on your heart. I pray, Lord, that we would see how you miraculously do what we cannot even imagine. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Max came back from the One Thing Conference in Kansas City. You know, again, just a great revival of young people of uh, this call. And it's just, uh, you, you can go online and watch pieces of it and watch it all if you'd like to. But one of the most interesting things I thought as Max came back and, and shared was that the president of the Southern Baptist Convention was one of the speakers. That took some tearing down boundaries. That took some tearing down walls for him to be there, for him to be invited, and for him to be willing to stand and speak. It, it amazed me, and, and Max said that there was people there from the, the, the Holy Spirit-driven Catholic Church. And he said, he shared with us in Sunday school, one of the most amazing things he saw was these, the nuns in their habits moving throughout this body, and when they would pray for someone, they would be slain in the Spirit. These, the, kind of this picture of conservatism, of all that we would believe, that these nuns would, would move and they'd pray, and people would be slain in the Spirit because of the power and the presence of God that was on them. I can tell you, this is not a denominational question. This is a spirit question. And when the spirit begins to rise, the things that have divided us will become far, far less important because the spirit will move. I tell you, there's great preachers all over the country, and I find many of them, most of them, this is my sad commentary, is that most of them are working very hard to defend the position that they currently hold, to defend the thoughts and the ideas within their own mind and have very little willingness to tear down the barriers and to just live in the freedom that God has given us. One of the things that uh, Ronnie Floyd shared, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention shared, he said, when the ship is sinking, you're not going to care who has the bucket. Everybody's going to grab a bucket. You're not going to wonder, you're not going to care what denomination they belong to when the ship is sinking. You're going to grab a bucket, and you're going to begin to bail. That's where we are. That's why it doesn't matter much. I want somebody beside me that will bail water. I want somebody beside me that will cry out and say, Spirit, come. I don't care much what they look like, the color of their skin, or whether they're rich or poor, I don't care. I don't care where they go to church. I want them to have the same heart to save a sinking ship. I just love the picture of Paul as he's talking to these men who are on this ship with him, and he says, you know, you can, you can fear if you'd like. But if you'll stay with me, we may lose the ship, but we're going to Rome. By the call of one man's life, these men on board were saved because they were willing to listen and be united around one possibility. If we stay with Paul, we'll be all right. 
I can tell you God has told us, and he's been abundant in it. He said, I, you know, what happens in this nation may seem grievous to us right now. But this nation was always designed, within my heart anyway, not to be a great nation, but to be a great witness. We can't do that without God. We can't do that without the Holy Spirit. We sure can't do it without the church being filled and united. I love the line. That, becomes, that, that just stirred in my heart. It'll take a united church to, to heal a divided nation. I think that's powerfully true. I'm going to share something with you this morning. Hit me kind of strangely this past week. Started, I guess, or stumbled into it when I heard the song, Do You Hear What I Hear? It shifted very quickly, not to do you hear what I hear, but do you see what I see? And my curiosity in asking this question as the title of this message is quite simple. I'm very curious this morning, how do you see the world? Because we can certainly see it broken and in despair. Or we can see it with hope and expectation. We can see it at war and we can see the violence or we can see it in peace and with great mercy. We can see it in poverty and in lack or we can see it in abundance and in the richness of God. I can tell you how we see the world is going to drive many of the things that happen within the following months and within this following year. It would, it would seem to just kind of be this proverbial question of seeing the glass half full or the glass half empty. It could boil down to something as simple as, what, do you have a positive attitude or a negative attitude? But I believe the Bible teaches that it's far, far deeper than just a question of attitude or a simple question of an attitude adjustment, even though I will say that I think there are many that we encounter that need an attitude adjustment. But that's not going to be the ultimate answer. That's not going to radically change who we are within ourselves. It's not going to radically change this church. It won't radically change this community. And it won't radically change the nation and the world around us. I can't do that with a simple attitude adjustment. It's going to take something far, far deeper, far richer than that. I want us to begin this morning in Mark chapter 6, if you want to go with me there. I'm going several different places, but I want you to, to begin with me in Mark chapter 6. And I want to take on this question. When I look at this world, what do I see? And do I see what Jesus sees? That's the big question. What do we see? And is it the same thing that Jesus sees when he looks at the world around us? Mark chapter 6, I'll begin reading with verse 30. And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. He said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. And the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran afoot thither out of all cities, and out went them, and came together unto them. So Jesus left on a boat to try to get to a place where he could get some rest, but the people knew who he was, knew where he was going, so they ran ahead of him on land and got to the place and were standing there when Jesus and his disciples landed. And Jesus, now listen to this carefully. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people. And this is kind of where this question begins. He was exhausted. They had been so busy. There had been so many people that they hadn't even had time to stop and eat. 
there was no leisure. And so Jesus, seeing his disciples, recognizing the weariness in them, said, come, let us go and let us get to a place where we can rest. But immediately upon landing, there they are, this multitude standing there again. And it says, and Jesus saw them. He had his eyes fixed on them. Now the question is, what did he see in that moment as compared to what we would see in that moment? What would you see if you had spent this weary day? If you had spent this exhausted day? If things had so taken up your time, so taken up your energy? I can tell you, I kind of live this. I, I go to Lubbock. I have one thing on my heart. Get me home as quickly as possible. I can imagine Jesus and the disciples and all of their humanity recognizing this situation in front of them and, and their heads dropping and say, oh. because he could have seen what you and I see. He could have seen the magnitude of the challenge. He could have seen the weariness that this next few hours was going to bring. He could have seen just all this massive need, all the demands, all the requirements, everything that happened to be needed in this next moment. Because I know me, that's very, very likely what I would see. How hard this is going to be. How difficult this is going to be. The challenge that is setting in front of us. The difficulties that, all it's, that that could look. I can tell you, I was reading the, the paper last night, or the news this morning. I can't remember if it was late last night or this morning. And they give this prediction that the oil prices are going to be down for the next five years. That did not cheer my heart. But you know what? Did he mean it? Greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. I tell you what, every time when we let our eyes see what the, what the world is doing, we will duck our heads almost in a moment of discouragement because we have such a hard time seeing what Jesus saw. Look at this. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. That's the heart. That's the eyes I want to have. I want to have the eyes that when I looked at this great need, instead of my head going down and discouragement coming and seeing all the magnitude of all this in front of me, I want that compassion to rise in me. I want to see what God sees. When he looks at you, I want to see exactly what God sees when he looks at you. I don't want to see the mess that we all are. I want to see what God sees. I want to see the beauty of it. I want to see the majesty that he's placed in you. I want to look at Danny Green and I want to see what God calls him. This mighty man of valor. Look at him. That's God's word over this man. That's what I want to see. Mighty in strength. Mighty in power. Mighty in authority. To have the eyes that God has. It says in verse 35, And when the day was far spent, his disciples came in him and said, This is a desert place and now the time is far past. Send them away that they may go into the country round about into the village and buy themselves bread for they have nothing to eat. What did the disciples see? They saw the magnitude. They saw the people. They knew they were hungry. They had no eyes yet to see what Jesus saw. And the only conclusion that they could draw was, well, you got to send them away because they're hungry. That will always be the outcome when our eyes fail to see what Jesus sees. We will always give somebody our best advice. And rarely will we release the supernatural reality of what God has just seen. That's why this, the church is so filled with good advice. is because we don't have the eyes yet 
to see what Jesus could see. How you answer that prior question hangs again in about verse 34. And Jesus says, when he came out, he saw much people. The only question I can ask you about that is, in that moment, what is it that you would have seen? We find some of the answer in Romans chapter 12, if you want to go there with me. In Romans 12, beginning with verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. From here, I would like to be able to tell you and there's much made of this, I would like to tell you that what would change us, what would radically stir the church, is if we had this renewed mind. If we had this renewed mind that he's speaking of, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I would like to tell you that by the renewing of our mind, we would have different eyes to see what's in front of us. But I have at least within my own heart, determine that that will not get us to the place where we need to be today. It won't be by the renewing of our mind. I have grown very convinced that how we see the world, how we see the people in the world around us isn't based largely on a renewed mind. It's determined by a renewed heart. That's what we're missing. I can tell you I'm speaking to a church that knows this as well as any church that I, I, I could imagine. But I want us to have this ability because of a renewed heart, to live from this place that we have this immediate willingness and readiness to turn off the view of people's faults, to make the judgments about them that we so quickly make so that we can actually see them from the heart of God and be moved with compassion. Not moved from our mind, not moved from our thoughts, but actually be moved from our heart. I don't want us to live callously around the needs of people when we have the authority and the power within us by the work of God to relieve their suffering, to deal with their need, to set them free, to remove the bondage, to open the captives' doors and let them escape. We have the authority to do it. But we won't even see it until we first have this heart of compassion. Go with me, if you would, to 1 John chapter 3. Listen to this. This is what he's talking about. This is what he wants us to hear this morning. 1 John chapter 3, beginning with verse 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso has the world's good, and sees his brother have need, and shuts up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwells the love of God in him. You see it? Seeing the world as Jesus saw it, as he instructed and empowered us to see it, begins with the word compassion. It begins there. I'm amazed, and I've shared this with you before, and I'll just be brief in this point, but I'm amazed at the bitterness that comes out of Christian mouths. The anger at fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm amazed by it, stunned by it when I hear it. What does it say? I mean, it, I, I can't get past this simple truth. But whoso has this world's goods and sees his brother have need and shuts up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwells the love 
of God in him. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among them. But when he saw, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. I want to assure you most of those people who didn't come to the harvest is because they didn't even see that the field was ready. They had no eyes to see. It was compassion, emotion, heart that allowed him to see what was truly in front of him. In Matthew 9, the woman with the issue of blood for 12 years and all the resources gone was simply hoping to touch the hem of his garment. And then from verse 22, this, and when he saw her, he said, daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith has made thee whole. Luke 12, when he was teaching in the synagogue and there was a woman who came in with this infirmity of 18 years, doubled over in pain. And this verse from verse 12, Luke 12, verse 12, and when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. Notice what the ruler of that same synagogue said when this happened. He said it with indignation because he saw a man who was breaking the rules. He saw a man who would not conform. He saw a man who was functioning according to the will of God, but not according to the will of the rules of that church. And he was filled with indignation at the very same thing. Jesus saw this woman. This man saw this woman, one filled with compassion, one filled with indignation. I want to know, who are you? Who am I this morning? What do we see when we look at the world around us? I noticed this morning when Jay came up to bring his offering, he has both shoes on. I want to celebrate that moment. No boot. Man, that is great, great healing. That is what God does. And it was just that walking those few steps, such a great witness of the power of God and what he does. I want to see that. You know, I'm not going to ignore the months that it took to get there, but I know there's only one who could heal that body. It was by the power of God and the witness and the work of Jesus Christ or that healing would not have come. We get to choose what we want to see. In John chapter 5 a man who had been sick for 38 years was now before Jesus. And this from verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had, not been, he had been now a long time in that case, he said unto him, will you be made whole? So here's the question. This is what God is asking you and he's asking me this morning. I can't help it. When, when the movie comes on, is, you know, is, is God real? When that movie comes on, I can't help myself. I'm going to watch it. And when I go to Aaron's, uh, because of the miracles of their technology, I can go find it usually on TV somewhere. And I, every trip, I watch it at least one time. And if I don't watch the whole thing, I go watch the end. Because I love the part where the pastor's standing in the church and he faces the cross. And he says, Lord, crush my pride and open my heart. The question that God has for us this morning is, will you let me crush your pride Will you let me crush your prejudice? Will you let me crush your judgments? Will you let me crush your unjust conclusions that you have drawn about people? Will you let me erase your bitterness and selfishness? Will you let me heal your self-pity? Will you let me heal your self-anger and disappointment? Will you let me open your heart to compassion? If so, we will then have it in the right order. Because God says, if you will let me renew your heart, 
I'll open your eyes and you'll have a renewed mind. It starts with this renewed heart. I don't know where in all this going on in your life as you approach 2016 and, and all that. This came out of the holidays and we had an interesting one with all four grandchildren sick at one point and, and certainly this, as Jay was sharing, when, when the baby was in the hospital, it just raises questions and I, it reminded me when Jay was laying there when he was little because everything in me as a parent says, God, just let him up and let me get down there. Let me just take the hurt. What do you think God did when he sent Jesus? He took the hurt. He took mine away so that I could see you so that I could recognize the hurt within you, be moved with compassion. Not so that I would feel sorry for you, but so that I would recognize that what God has done in me, the authority that he's giving, given each of us, the blessing that he is, not so that I can feel sorry for you, but so that I can come and in the power of God and by the work of the Holy Spirit, relieve your suffering. We have the authority to do it the goodness within God to allow us to be able to move in His authority. But we will not do it until our eyes change based on a heart that has been renewed. This is a great year to begin this year with a renewed heart. To just look around each other in a few minutes and, and please don't let it stop here, but in just a few minutes when we're dismissed, as this church does so well, Everyone sitting in here is a gift to the rest of us, if we have the heart to see it. Every one of us is a blessing to someone else, if we have the heart to see it. Let God stir you this morning. Let that old heart that has grown hard, or just tired, or just weary, let that old heart go. We've held on to a lot. Just let the heart go. And let Him renew it. Have eyes to see what only God could see. Love that only God could give. The great day. The day of a renewed heart. Boy, when you do, be ready. Because he's going to let you see people the way you've never seen them before. All your judgments, conclusions, bitterness, anger, frustration will disappear. And all that baggage that came with it will drop. And there will be something that surges in your heart and it will rise up. And you'll be so determined to love, so de dedicated, committed to see what God sees. All it takes is having the eyes to see what God has done. Remarkable what God is doing. It's held in every one of us. Just be willing to see again. Drop the old, take on the new, have a renewed heart, and let God show you by your eyes what he sees. Lord, we come to you today knowing that there are a few people here who are exactly where Jay, what Jay spoke of, that they're being stretched, they're uncomfortable, not because they're in church, because of what's going on in their life. Things are just difficult. Not what we expected. Our faith doesn't seem very strong. We just seem to be in this odd place. We thank you, Lord, for the odd places because we know what you're doing is you are expanding our territory. You're taking us places where we've never been, showing us what we've never seen, 
building faith that is now stronger and more stable because we know you better. Thank you, Lord, for those moments of stretching. Thank you, Lord, when you expand our territory, even when it's uncomfortable. We thank you for it. Because there's a few people here today that's wondering what in the world is going on in my life right now. I can't even put the pieces together. Thank you, Lord. Let us see that moment like you see it. Let us have the eyes to see the glory still unfolding and the blessing still coming and the majesty that you're, that you're demonstrating. Thank you, Lord, that we can be here together this morning, finally back in church to be together as a family. And let us over the next few minutes as we're dismissed, just see in each other what's really there, the beauty and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.